before we go to the Word of God, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing on His Word today. Heavenly Father, we do pray that for Jesus' sake, Your Word may be a blessing to us, for each one of us that's here, and that we would respond in kind, both in this place and in our lives, uh, celebrating the coming of Christ, not just in this time of the year, but in our lives. So what people can see about us and what they'll know about us is that we're celebrants of the most important thing that ever happened, and that is that Christ came to set us free from our sin. So may you accept our prayers to that end, dear Father, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be taking a look, as we have been uh, over the course of the last few weeks, uh, in uh, John chapter 6, actually early chapters of John, we started by looking at John 5, part of John 5. I'm hoping, actually, Lord willing, in the next few weeks to stay in this section of John early into the new year. Uh, but we're looking today at John chapter 6, 22 to 33. And if you're visiting, the reason why we're reading through these passages is these are passages that speak to us also about the coming of Christ. And uh, we oftentimes think about Luke 2, and we think of Luke 1, or Matthew 1, or John 1, but it's in places such as these as well, the importance of Christ's coming, and the importance of trusting in this one whom the Father has sent. And this is a portion that speaks to us about the bread of life. So we're going to be picking up at verse 22, reading to verse 33 of John chapter 6. So here's what God's word says there. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they had found him, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's as far as we're going to read from God's word. You can see kind of the impression from what I, as I was reading, 
Verse 29 is especially important. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, in our lives, we when we go to the stores or we uh, find ourselves doing uh, grocery shopping somewhere, we have this kind of built-in trust, don't we, when we pick up things uh, that we figure, well, these things are going to be fine for me. They've been inspected. I don't have to worry about getting sick because I ate these things. And sometimes we look at the dates on the materials or the things that we buy and say, oh, okay, this is still this is going to be good till March of 2024 or whatever it might be. And so we say, okay, put it in the basket. Let's go. Uh, obviously, this isn't going to make me sick. This is of good quality. It's gotten the seal of approval. Now, I'm sure that that's not what was on the mind of Jesus when he spoke about the seal of approval that he received from his father and as he was giving the food that he could supply. But there is no doubt that when he spoke of the food that he would supply, that this was going to be a better food than any food that any people could work for. And if people were going to trust in our day and age food that's in the grocery store, and you say, well, that's, that's good for me, I can trust it. Well, it's especially true about Jesus that we could trust him as the one that the Father has sent as a better food for our lives. We're looking, as I mentioned earlier, we are continuing, continuing to focus on these passages out of John where there's a lot of time spoken about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the one who has been sent by the Father. And we focus on this passage where Jesus tells those who hear him that the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. It's a passage where Jesus exhorts his hearers to work for better food, to, to have a better quality of life that way, uh, to go for, to seek for a better quality than that for which they had been previously working. And to consider a better supplier at the same time. So we hope that as we look at this passage that way, and as he was exhorting these people to think about a better quality of life, and a better food, and a better supplier that we can gain from looking at this for a few moments this morning. So we're going to first of all take a look at the fact that as Jesus is calling people to work for better food, that they would see that, that they need to be considering a better quality of food. You have quite a description of these people who are searching for Jesus here. This, this background, this prelude to the heart of what's being talked about in this passage. They finally find Jesus on the Jewish side of the lake, and they find him in Capernaum, and last week we talked about how that was in Naphtali, Zebulun, the place where the darkness would receive the light. And they asked Jesus when he got there, when, when it was that he got there. They, they were amazed because they know, as the passage tells us, that he was not in the boat when the disciples left. And they knew that at that time there was only one boat that could go. And that was the one the disciples took. Now Jesus doesn't answer that question. He doesn't answer about, when did you get here? 
partly because they would no doubt that would no doubt fan that fan that flame of political kingship that he's already been trying to snuff out, which is along the lines of Jesus' concerns anyway. They were looking for him for all the wrong reasons. They had already wanted to try to make him a political king, but now Jesus fleshes out what makes these people tick. You're searching for me, he says, because like sheep who get their fill of grass, you got your fill. You're looking for me for strictly materialistic reasons. The importance of my coming is nothing more than what you can get from me material. You know, and today the celebration of Christ's coming can be nothing more than that as well, of course, for people. He's there for me so that I can get what I want out of life. Now, Christmas time can be fun for presents. The boys and girls know that. Maybe they've been celebrating some of that already. We tend to kind of extend that to almost biblical proportions these days, right? Where you celebrate over here at Grandma and, and then over, over here at Great Grandma or over here with Mom and Dad and, and uh, you're celebrating all over the place. And that can be fun. And that is an enjoyable time. I enjoy it. But what Jesus gives us is better than the gifts that we get. And so much better than the food that he provided to 5,000 people or 5,000 men long ago. And that's what Jesus wants to teach these who have had their stomachs filled. Who have come to him for the wrong reason. I have so much more to give to you than just the full stomach. There were many things that the people wanted from Jesus and that people still want from Jesus that are not nearly as important as what Jesus came to get. People want Jesus for their political purposes. People use Jesus like that. They use religion for that. I, I can remember when I was in Chicago and and there would be a, a, a number of, of politicians who would be asked to come and to speak during a worship service, which was an opportunity for those politicians not to come worship Christ, not to put focus on Christ, but to push their political platform. A platform that oftentimes had absolutely nothing to do with Christ-centered living. They figured that a little bit of God wouldn't hurt them politically anyway. And even if they could get people to think that their cause is in the name, the name of God, all the better. If you got God backing you up, even if it's wrongly presented that way, that doesn't matter. You win over the mob. You went over the masses. Latin American countries have had a history of equating the liberation of Israel, talked about in Exodus, as a justification for what they call liberation theology that targets their countries. God liberated countries back then. 
He can do that today. We can be products. We can be agents of revolution. We don't need a spiritual revelation or revolution uh, or liberation. We need a, a political one. Or in the name of, of Allah, political liberation. Armed warfare is waged. And yet the Lord speaks about a better food that has come from heaven. Often for the sake of wealth and health, the name of Jesus Christ is taking it up. If, if Jesus is going to heal me, if Jesus is going to make me wealthy, then I'll follow him. Absolutely. But Jesus says to stop working for things that perish. Now when Jesus says that we should stop working for things that perish, we, we shouldn't get the wrong impression with that. Of course, anytime something's taught, we can we got to be careful that we don't get the wrong impression by what's being said and we don't we don't uh, jump off a platform to something else because we think that one thing means the other. Jesus is not saying to us, stop working. I mean, there's people who like to be like that, right? They just want to get what they can get without working. He's not telling them that work's not important. God expects us to work, right? Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. That is a foreign concept to a lot of people today. To work devotedly for one's boss. But the problem that Jesus sees with people is that their goal, the goal of their work, isn't reaching high enough. The goal of their work is inferior. It's short-sighted. The chief motivation is, is set too low. Priorities aren't set right. When Jesus says this as he does, stop working for things that perish, it's kind of like a John version of what Jesus says in Matthew. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added unto you. Set your hearts, set your sights higher. Quit making your life empty by pursuits that don't last or don't go far enough and do nothing more than make Jesus a servant to, to, to carry out our very substandard and very low, long, uh, short-term goal. Like trying to, you know, just as an example, just to say, well, if you're going to be working, you know, are you working just to get? That's, that's, that's just, that's not the chief motivation. You know, the, the chief motivation is to work for God's glory in light of what he's done for us in Christ. And then to be able to give. But if, if, if work is only about me, or only because of getting, we've set our, our, our sights too low. The minds of the people in chapter 6 are much like the mind of the Samaritan, mind of the Samaritan woman in chapter 4. Because... Her mind is only on the water of the well. When it needed to be on the living water that Jesus could give. See, she was just way too, she set her sights too low. For these, their minds were on the bread. That's it. That's what mattered. Didn't last. That's where it was. Instead of on the living bread. 
who when he gives and what he gives lasts forever. So the focus is too low. It's not on Christ, the living bread, it's just on the bread. Right? And that's, that's our lives, right? If, if our motivations for life are just on the bread, we've set our sights too low. They need to be on Christ. Now you're living. Now you're living. These people were pursuing a life that didn't last by what they were doing instead of pursuing a life that would last by what they could not do. You catch that? They were pursuing a life that didn't last by what they were doing instead of pursuing a life that would last by what they could not do. There was a better life to live. There was a lasting life. And it went beyond political and material and financial and, 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 uh, and physical gains and social gains for that matter. Those things can't take priority to the lasting food. Trusting Christ for everlasting Christ, uh, life. Christ trusted. Christ served. I mean, that's what it boils down to. There seems to be something that goes hand in hand between overvaluing the material and undervaluing the spiritual. For these people who found their material pursuits so important by work, they did not understand that, that what was most important was their spiritual need of God, apart from works. Because that's why Jesus came, to fill that need. And that was to be seen as most valued. They asked Jesus, what work did they need to do that would fulfill what God would require? This is where they're at. What they're going to do. The answer that Jesus gives is that the work that God requires isn't work at all. It's to trust Christ who alone provides the better food. For these people, it was all about what they could do and what they could gain materially. The old Israelites tried to rely on the accumulation of what spoils. Right? Don't work for that which shall perish. Exodus 16, they tried hoarding the manna. You might remember that, right? And then they find out that if they did that, it only spoiled. They didn't trust that God was going to take care of them from day to day. The God who who sent the bread from heaven. They put their trust in their work and what spoiled. You know, and, and earthly prosperity doesn't last. Earthly power doesn't last. Earthly health doesn't last. Earthly popularity doesn't last. What lasts is life in Christ. That has to be the ultimate because these other things don't cut it. He's the one that provides lasting life with better food. He provides a prosperity because we're rich in Christ, right? We're heirs of the kingdom. We have the power of the Spirit so we can serve our God. We have everlasting life that goes beyond the grave. And even if nobody else seems to care about us, we know of someone who cares for us everlastingly. 
And that's Jesus Christ himself. That's the better prosperity, the better power, the better health, the better popularity. The food Jesus mentions also of a better quality because unlike the food, manna, bread that originally came to Israel, this food comes down and he says it gives life to the world. It gives life to the world. This is the shepherd who gives his life for the sheep, for all those who belong to the sheepfold. The original manna fell only to Israel, didn't it? In the wilderness of sin. Not to anybody else. But this better manna, the better food that comes to the earth from heaven, gives life to the world. That's also the better quality. Well, thankful we can be that this better food has come because that way we know, don't we? And we can take joy in knowing that, that the God that we are called to serve is not just the God of the Jews. Because none of us here, I doubt, are Jews. We're all Gentiles. How blessed we could be for this better food that way. That's come. That reminds us that salvation can also be ours as Gentiles. What a better quality food this was. It's a food that spreads not only that, that desert of sin that people can pick it up for a time, but it could spread throughout the world and make its difference to us eternally. And allowing us to make a difference wherever we are because we've been fed by this great bread. That's one of the beautiful things about celebrating the coming of Christ. Better food. You know, Christmas celebrations often leave Christ completely out. That's not surprising to us. And of course, they all fall short that way. But that's because, the, you know, there's not going to be a celebration of Christ come, or a Christmas celebration that's going to have Christ in it if the joy of Christ's coming isn't in the people. It's because of the joy of Christ's coming that, a, that a, a celebration of Christ's coming could really make any sense. Right? Because for many people, the joy of Christ's coming just isn't part of their lives. It needs to be part of their lives. Where they celebrate every day, and people see it in them, they, when they see these people, they can tell that these people are celebrating the, the, the liberal generosity of God to save them. And not just them, but, but people from all over the world. Where God is lavishly working everything out to their good. And, and, and he's uniting people like nobody else can. Because nobody else can unite people like Christ can with his food. Our world is often motivated and driven by secondary matters. You ever notice that? It's because of their gender or what they consider to be their gender. I mean, that's the way it is now. It's so, it's so mixed up now that you can pick and choose gender how you feel at the moment, right? But otherwise, people will say, well, I'm going to rally around being a woman or a man or 
because I'm part of this country or that country. And that's where I find my uniting identity or my color <coughs> or my ethnicity or even my immorality. Right? I mean, people will even talk about homosexuality as being a kind of ethnicity. Like Jesus tells us here about the work that spoils, that that work leads to nothing. And it's not liberating, and it's not prosperous, and, it's, and it isn't uniting. It, it can't be. It's always limiting. But that's what a lot of people want. That's how they want to live. That's how they identify themselves. They identify themselves by things that have their limits. And is oftentimes external. Life and peace and happiness for many a people has only to do with their nationality, their color, their race, and are celebrated. Some of them are even celebrated at this time of the year. Kwanzaa, Hanukkah. And yet the only true peace, life, and happiness comes from the bread from heaven that gives life and happiness and grace to people of every color and every race and every nationality. Nobody can, nobody can unite like Jesus can. And that grace to every color, race, ethnicity, and nationality, that's what people should believe. That's what people should celebrate. They should celebrate Jesus. They shouldn't celebrate themselves. Because that's what we do, right? When we end up, when we end up focusing on something about us, we're celebrating ourselves who are here today and gone tomorrow. I would rather celebrate, won't you? Wouldn't you? Someone who is here today and here with us always till the close of the age. Celebrate Jesus. Not myself. That's what people should believe and celebrate. We have a culture that wants to say believe in yourself and celebrate yourself and the Christian gospel says, no, believe and celebrate Christ. That's the work that God requires. Let's not celebrate what we look like. Let's not celebrate what we choose to be. Let's not celebrate ourselves. Let's celebrate God, who sent his son. That's a better food. That's a better way for all kinds of people. Hopeless people like us otherwise. Hopeless people like us. We're not worth celebrating. But Christ is. He's worth celebrating because he takes our hopelessness away. And then we get to be united to God. And then we get to be united to other people of all kinds of nationalities 
and colors and ethnicities and vocations and locations. Who can do that? Except the one whose bread is brought from heaven to feed the world. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but to all, to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. They weren't born of blood. See, they didn't celebrate that. It wasn't by the will of the flesh. It wasn't by the will of man, but of, but of God. You celebrate God. You celebrate Christ. Got reason to do that. Not just now, throughout the year, throughout your life. Don't celebrate yourself. Celebrate where you're from. Celebrate Christ. And the coming of Jesus Christ is the one full of grace. An offense to many but in a, a tremendous attraction, a better food, Jesus provides. He gives life not to a few of a particular color or a race, so we've got we to limit it there, but to all kinds. Every tribe and kindred. People try to unite the nations. Nobody can do it like Christ can. I can't call all people to my fellowship when I'm merely Dutch or white or black or red or yellow, but I can call all people to the fellowship of God through Christ, whose light and whose everlasting life is for people of all kinds. And that kind of inclusion, we talk about inclusion, that's inclusion. That inclusion is what makes his food better and his coming worth celebrating. Briefly, a moment, we should work for a better food because of a better supplier, too. Our passage says that it's the Son of Man providing the lasting food. The Son of Man, the mediator between heaven and earth. He's the one who comes from heaven unlike any other. It's the Son of Man who's authorized, who's certified, who has the seal the Father given to him to provide the food. You might have good housekeeping seals and USDA certified beef, but in days before inspections, it was Jesus who received the real seal of approval because of the food that he provides so we can trust him. Everlastingly. Certified by the signs of Father, the scriptures that were pointing to him. And if we don't trust him, if we don't trust him, then what are we celebrating? Why? But with him, there's life to the full. That's worth celebrating. The people had a hankering for Moses, and it led to works righteousness. It took the shift away from God. They said, Moses gave us this bread. And then they quote something, supposedly. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And commentators have said, well, there isn't really any exact quote of what the people quote about Moses. And Moses gave them bread to eat. And the reason for that is because it isn't there. They want it to be found, but it isn't there. 
And that's why Jesus has to correct them and said, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, it was God who gave it to you. It's just like it is now with the Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Don't find your salvation in what you do. Don't find it in Moses. Don't find it in the law. Don't celebrate yourself again. Find it in the God who sent the true bread from heaven. That's why we celebrate Christ's coming. And Jesus is himself the better provider. Before he would speak of himself as giving the bread and that the Father would send the bread and now he says, I'm the true bread. Just like he's the true vine and the true temple and the true light and the true purifier and the true shepherd. And how is it that he's true? He's true in terms of fulfilling what the old manna could not. He fills the void. You know, sometimes when you eat something and you go home and you're going to have your, your uh, Christmas dinner or you're going to have your Sunday dinner and you say, boy, that really hit the spot. Well, nobody hits the spot like Christ does. Because he, he can satisfy better than the manna, better than the dinner you're going to have. His gift satisfies eternally. Longer than any gift that you're ever going to have. I wonder if our 10-year-olds or anybody who's close to that, they're probably thinking about what, they were going to, what they're going to get for Christmas. You know, I can't remember what I got when I was 10. <laughs> Not that my mother and father didn't give me anything, but I just don't remember it. And I bet you I don't have it. I bet you I don't have it. It just didn't last. Nothing under the tree does, but the gift of forgiveness does. What could be a better gift than that? where we now have favor with God forever and Him on our side. Among all the gifts that we receive, that's the gift that we truly need and hits the spot. And it's what makes celebrating Christ's coming so good. Better quality, better provider, these are the reasons why we need to be working for a better food, you see. And not shoot low, but shoot high. It's the reason why the, the better food is better. And it keeps perspective for us. It keeps things in priority. It shows us what's most important, what's most lasting, what our motivation should be. It, it shows us why we must trust in the one whom the Father has sent. And why trusting and working for anything else just isn't worth it. Now may we take joy this season in the greatest of gifts and the best of food. The food provided by and the food that is. The one whom the Father has sent. The Son of Man. The Son of God. Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, it's easy for us to want to celebrate ourselves or to shoot with a short-sighted vision. Help us to shoot high. To trust Christ. To serve Christ. To find celebration, Lord, there. That, your that you as the Father have sent your Son. So that we might be forgiven everlastingly. Have life everlastingly. Have you with us everlastingly. 
have you satisfied what we could not to believe in the one whom you sent. Such is the work of God. Such is the work of the Father for us. So Lord, may we, we take joy then in this day and every day to be able to look at what we do and whom we trust and not have it be for us or directed toward us. We're not here to celebrate ourselves. Culture wants us to do that. Help us to celebrate Christ. Because apart from Him, we could know no good thing. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your good news that we could hear for our encouragement today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.